Stuxnet, the Twitter worms. What are the information security concerns today, and what do you need to know about them? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today with Kevin Johnson, a security consultant, founder of Secure Ideas, and a certified SANS instructor. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. So I want to go through some of these just in order. We're hearing so much in the news now. Stuxnet, the Twitter worms, ASP attacks today. What can you tell us about these threats? What do we need to know about them? Okay. Well, I'd say let's start with Stuxnet, Stuxnet, even though I can't pronounce it. Um, it, It's actually a really interesting worm. Uh, It's it's one of the first ones that have come out with a a collection of zero-day exploits, meaning exploits that patches aren't available for yet. So from a security perspective, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, From a security researcher perspective. From an end-user perspective, the businesses and organizations that need to protect their stuff, I I hate to say it, but Stuxnet is minor to them. Um, Due to the fact that it's it's got zero-day exploits, things that they're not going to be able to block, Um, you know, you can't patch for it, that pretty much your answer is hope your antivirus catches it. Hope that your... You know, your patch management, the, the controls you have in place to stop the spread of malware stops it based on the behavior it's ex- exhibiting, right? Um, it's one of the things that makes a, a really good splash on headlines and from my perspective is something that for the most part you just have to accept as the risk of doing business, right? So, Kevin, what's the uh, risk of Stuxnet? What if your AV doesn't catch it? This is the fear well, I hear from organizations because they just don't understand. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and in this case, uh, for most, for what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, uh, for the most part, Stuxnet won't affect you. Um, it's on your system, which is a problem, right? Um, but it's not targeting uh, normal IT systems. It's not targeting um, applications that we're running. Um, it's just infecting our Windows machine and then turning around and trying to attack the control systems in these these industrial complexes, right? Um, which right off the bat sh- shouldn't be connected to the network your Windows computers are connected to anyways. And, and I know that people are doing that. Uh, we're starting to consolidate those networks for costs and, and what have you. I, I really think that's a bad idea. Right, due to vulnerabilities like this, right? That makes sense. Okay, you put our minds to ease on Stuxnet. Let's talk about Twitter worms now. <laughs> now, this is a uh, well. I don't want to say a more serious, but but a more relevant uh, problem for the majority of people out there, right? Not everybody has a nuclear power plant in their backyard. Most people, or lots of people, have Twitter accounts. Um, so what's happening is uh, there's two different worms that have come out actually exploiting different bugs. Uh, there was a lot of similarities. People started thinking they were the same thing. Uh, the first one came out last week, and it was a uh, cross-site scripting attack. Um, basically, the Twitter application, the, the, you know, the server-side website application, uh, accepted input from a user, displayed it back in your Twitter timeline without any method of encoding or defanging of an attack which allowed uh, people to post messages that included client-side code, right, JavaScript in this case. 
that client-side code then posted a message to your Twitter feed that included the same exact code, right? So it was a self-replicating system. Um, from the end user perspective, it's embarrassing, right? Oh my goodness, I've got um, something posted to my, my Twitter feed that I didn't write, and it could have said some pretty obscene or embarrassing things, like the one that just came out yesterday about our attraction to goats. But it didn't infect your computer. It didn't attack. You know, it didn't drop malware down, which is good. It could have, right? It could have redirected the users over to very, very malicious sites. Um, so really it boils down to, uh, in this case, the same uh, phrases we said all the time, right? Uh, don't click links. Don't, don't run things you're not supposed to run, right? Um, that's simply what happened here. People were able to load Twitter. By moving the mouse over the Twitter message, it would repost onto theirs. Uh, from an application perspective, uh, developers need to start thinking about things like this. Right? Um, if you're accepting input from users and then displaying that out to other users, well, you need to be careful of what you're putting out there and uh, do your best to block and encode what you're displaying so that you prevent client-side code from being injected through your application. Well, it makes sense, Kevin, and we're hearing today about ASP attacks. What do you know about those? Uh, well, I'm assuming that you're talking about the Oracle padding attacks. Correct. Uh, and I'd like to stress, these are not these are not just ASP attacks. We seem to, to like to beat up on Microsoft, and yes, uh, ASP.NET is vulnerable to this, but so are Java Faces and um, lots of other applications. Right. This is a, a problem with block ciphers. And the idea is, and we'll use the ASP.NET as the example because it's the easiest one, the one most people are, are looking at. Um, ASP.NET puts a value down on the client browser that they encrypt. Now, they use a block cipher, so if the, the string they want to put onto the to the client is not of the right length, they pad that length out, right? So it's, you know, you add zeros to the end or whatever the value they decide to pad with to make it fit what the block cipher requires. Now, the problem is that as an attacker, of course, I want to figure out what your encryption key is because if I can figure out your encryption key, then I can decrypt the string, I can do other things. Uh, for example, if you're pushing down whether or not I'm an admin in an encrypted format and I can decrypt it, well then I can say, yes, I am an admin and gain additional privileges within your application, right? And so what the Oracle padding attack is doing is the tools, similar like Poet, which is a tool that was released to abuse this, uh, what they do is they send request after request after request, changing the string, the padded portion of the string, to see if they can uh, determine whether they encrypted it correctly or not. Once they say, yes, you've encrypted this correctly, right, now I know how I can send some stuff up to this application, and the application will accept it because it's assuming that since it was encrypted correctly, it was made by the application, right? Uh, the ASP.NET vulnerability is that, well, they responded with a message that basically said, we're not accepting this input because it wasn't encrypted correctly. The 
tool sends in another attempt, another attempt, another attempt. Finally, the ASP.NET application comes back and says, this was encrypted correctly, right? Um, Microsoft came out, and, and this is very typical of attacks like this, right? The vendor comes out and says, hey, we've patched it. Everything is good. Uh, in this case, Microsoft came out and said, to be to fix the vulnerability, to remove the risk, turn off custom error messages, right? Um, now, at first, it looked like, wow, that, that looks good. That That's fixed the problem. Just, I, I want to say it was this morning. It might have been last night. Another researcher came out and said, actually, that doesn't fix it because now we're not getting the error message back that we were using before, but we can actually look to see how long the response takes to come back to us. And if it takes a little bit longer, then that means that our attack worked, right? So instead of looking for a error message, we're actually timing it. And based on that timing, we can determine whether or not our encryption was correct. Well, Kevin, with all this activity, what's the message to organizations such as government agencies and financial institutions and healthcare organizations? Is it just uh, coincidence that, that so much is happening in such a, a short period of time here, or is this really a sign of not just things to come, but the way things are now? Um, I, I think it's a sign of the way things are now. Um, security has become a very popular topic on both sides of you know the black hat, white hat fence, uh, and so we're... we're starting to see people pay more attention to it and as such we see more and more attackers announcing stuff. Hey, look what I did, look how cool I am, type of thing. So I think the biggest message to organizations, government agencies, individuals is pay attention. Right? Um, we still see all the time uh, I finish a penetration test and I go back to the organization and say, look, here's the vulnerabilities you have. And then you come back six months later and the vulnerabilities are still there. Because the organization thinks, well, it's not that big a deal. Nobody's going to attack me. right? Uh, I'm not big enough to be a target. And it just isn't valid anymore. So a question for you. First, what yeah. should we be saying to employees? And then what should we be saying to our customers? Well, to employees, um, we just need people to understand the risk, right? Um, we've said for years, you know, don't click that email, don't go out to that social network site, don't go download pirated materials. Uh, but what I've found as I talk to employees and people all over the place is they really don't understand what's at risk, right? Um, well, nobody's, like the same message earlier, nobody's attacking me, nobody's going to attack me, I'm not that big a deal. But if you explain to your employees look, here is the stuff attackers are doing. This is why we have those policies and procedures and guidelines, right? It's, instead of it just being a management says your password must be 37 characters long, it's now a, hey, look, this is why we have this guideline. Your password must be long enough, and I'm jumping topics, but your password must be long enough because attackers are brute forcing passwords, and if your password is shorter, they're able to get in faster, right? Uh, we need to start giving reasons why. Uh, our employees aren't dumb, um, and they question things. And that questioning is, in my opinion, a good idea. But if your organization isn't willing to answer those questions, um, then people are going to ignore the rules. And that's what we see all the time. Now, to our customers, I, I, I think that um, customers are starting to realize 
that doing business with secure organizations or more security conscious organizations benefits them, right? And so we need to be, start showing our customers and our, uh, the people we want to do business with that we take this seriously, we pay attention to it, and while you know we accept the fact that we're never going to be 100% secure, we're going to do our best to raise the bar for anybody targeting us. Well, it sounds like then we almost can turn security into a marketing message, which in the past is something we've just tried to squelch. Oh, actually, I, I love the idea of using security for marketing. Now, that's if you're really using security, right? Just saying, hey, uh, my website's secure because I use SSL, it doesn't cut it anymore. As a matter of fact, it was never valid. It just doesn't, people are becoming more educated. So if we're able to show, look, here are the controls we have in place. Here's why we take this seriously. Here's what we're investing. I know as a consumer, I would do business easy more likely. Very good, Kevin. I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. We've been talking about security threats. We've been talking with Kevin Johnson. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.